I'm Mandy. And I'm Jessica. And this is The Coop. You're listening to The Coop Homeschool Podcast. This is your podcast for community, humility, and joyful fun in homeschooling. This is episode 66, Dumbing Us Down, part four, chapter three. Today, it's Dumbing Us Down, chapter three, but part four. Four. Yeah. So if you've been with us on this journey, we've broken this book down into very small chunks because there's so much to unpack. Mm -hmm. So we've broken it into the preface in episode 55, chapter one in episode 57, and chapter two in episode 62. And you know, right. yeah, and I, and you know, it's our most like provoking uh, really discussions too. Yeah. So if you if you want to be provoked, and maybe even possibly offended, yeah, a little bit, or have your bias confirmed, right? You know, tune in, yeah, tune in definitely. This. So yeah. this one's um, a little bit different than the other chapters, and so I'm excited to to get into it. But before we do, Mandy, what's your scoop on the coop? Well, my scoop on the coop is that I was injured this week. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Yeah. Uh, we are dissecting, or we were dissecting a pig heart, which is very similar to a human heart, apparently. Right. That's what they have available. And so we got a kit and everything. And But I had my own dissection tools that I had bought. Right. Because I had heard the plastic ones that come with the kit break, and they're mm-hmm. not very useful. So I got the, the, the good ones that were still only $20, and they still got rusty and stuff. But... Uh, we, I used the scalpel to cut the pig heart in half and, uh, you know, I, I was nervous about it, but it's fine. Right. But the way a scalpel works is you, um, you slide the blade on and that kind of locks in place and then you slide the blade off and you do it with the scissor tweezers that lock closed and when you lock, because I watched a whole YouTube about it. Right. So I'm like learning to be this surgeon in the meantime. And um, and I do it over the trash. So if it like flies anywhere, it'll hit the size of the trash or whatever. So I'm doing it over. So now we're done. It was a great experience. You know, 20, 25 minutes, they're sticking their fingers in the aortic, val- whatever, pushing their fingers through the valves. It's really cool. There are all these canals and everything. Right. And we had watched a dissection video, which was perfect. I had oh, to nice. pre-watch it. And so they knew exactly what to look for and do without setting up the laptop on the table like I did last time for the brain. Right. That was a little hard to manage that. And they just want to explore at that point. Anywho. Well, that's a good learning. Yeah. 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 So I, um, I took the scalpel over the trash can to remove it. And the little scissor tweezers did not lock on the scalpel, apparently, strong enough. And as I'm prying with all my might to unslide it, because I thought, oh, the rust probably makes it a little more stick together right off into the trash, it loses its grip on the blade, and the blade, like, really hard, because I'm using slices right into my thumb. Yeah. Sorry, Jake. She said it. It was... What? I didn't even tell him my, uh, what happened because <laughs> stories like that aren't his favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah. He feels it like in his bones. Oh, yeah. So it was that story. It was like spurting blood. Yeah. There's like, I, I didn't clean it up yet. There's a little bit of splatter right behind the trash can. But it was like on the countertop, on the floor, right. and it was just like gushing. And I went straight to the sink and was rinsing it out. And it's the thinnest little slice, but sure. I'm like, my thumb is going numb. Right. 
I know I did something bad. And I'm like, I did something bad. Something's really bad. Help me. Help me. So anyways, but what was so funny about it, so my my son hears this and he comes right. out and he's like, can I see it? Well, I already have the paper towel on it, so no. But what's so cool is he goes, well, that's actually perfect timing since we are learning about the body. And right. I'm like, I know, it's an operation. Ouch. Yep. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> so, I mean, Organic I... learning. I know. Finest. I could do where they learn. I wish, you know, I would have thought about it more. But they were asleep when we got the, right. the liquid stitches. Right. Put on and everything, but yeah, yeah, it was I was of, on standby. I, I was like ready to either come up here and hang out with the kids and just make sure the house was safe, or I was gonna take you I to know. an ER myself. I know. I'm like, this is not the time I want to be going to an ER where COVID people are, you know, in the middle of the night. Yeah. So, Ugh. but yeah, it was a, the whole experience of the heart dissection was awesome. Yeah. And then I went ahead and threw the entire scalpel, you know, I wrapped it up and everything, yeah. but. Through that, got rid of that. Uh, there's yeah. probably a proper way to get rid of it, but I wrapped it up good enough. I, right, you know, it should be fine. So, anyways, so that's my scoop on the coop. What about you? <laughs> well, um, I wanted to take a second and just talk about Sophia's progress in reading and writing Ooh. because I've updated that before. And um, so we finally decided to let her finish the Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So she went through the last four books in the last two months. Mm-hmm. Not quite two months. Yeah. Um, and so she just finished book seven last night. And that was like quite the thing. And so it's been really magical because we've held so much in from being able to even discuss with her book by book because we know that our opinions are all tainted by knowing the whole story. Yeah. So even if she just read book four, I can't only talk about book four. Yeah. I mean, I can try. I mean, Gandalf is not as amazing Gandalf. as you. <laughs> <sighs> yes he's so. not as amazing as you thought you know right. so you're so funny <laughs> you do know that Gandalf it's, is yeah I okay. can never remember I wasn't like sure Dumbledore caught it or not Dumbledore Dumbledore I yeah. know it when I say it but I don't know the name before right yeah so anyway that was really fun to be able to finally talk to her about it and see some of the character arcs that happened throughout the series and like okay you didn't like this person what do you think of them now yeah you know and um then um, on the flip side of that is her writing. So I've shared before that she wants to write books and that she has about a thousand of them going at a single moment in time. And she finally finished one oh. and felt ready and confident enough to give it to my friend who's an author. Um, and so she's reviewing it and sending her edits. That's and awesome. so, she, you know, chapter by chapter, she's been receiving edits and through that is learning her paragraphing skills and she loves complex sentences already, mm-hmm. but she either repeats the same type or there's just a more efficient way of saying it, you mm-hmm. know? So while the idea is there, there's more commonly accepted ways of saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so she's getting some of that guidance. Yeah, and some so, sentence variety. Exactly. Yeah. And so she's actually loving it because as she's rereading it, once she's accepted the edits um, through Google Docs, she's like, oh, it reads so much better now. And so she's feeling really enthusiastic, which I love because I was nervous that the editing process would kind of kill that a little Uh. bit, but she's not getting any content edits yet. She's just getting grammatical ones as my friend is going through the book. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing at the end, they'll go through content um, and then be able to kind of talk about maybe like some considerations. And then at that point, 
that might feel more personal is when your actual story that's gets when you want to fight for things yeah right mm-hmm. so we'll see how she reacts to that but all in all I think it's a great experience and so it's just really neat to kind of just see that new maturity mm-hmm. you know instead of the seven and eight year old who's creating all of these you know starting but not finishing right she's yeah. creating all these worlds but not finishing anything now she's got a unique story and yeah, we'll see what happens. That'd be a great uh, Christmas gift for her to give to mm-hmm. her friends because right. like you could just print them and spiral yeah. bind it. Yeah. She did that for her friend for her birthday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's why, why it was in my head. So um, uh, tell tell our listeners yes. um, how much um, grammatical and uh, uh, writing curriculum have you done with her? Zero. Zero, yeah. So the Charlotte Mason method, not that you're like consciously doing the Charlotte Mason method, but they say if they just read good literature, they will be able to write good literature. So she has the cadence of having listened to so much Mm -hmm. reading um, aloud, you know, through audiobooks or through my husband and I reading to the kids. Um, And then she also has the advantage of seeing it. So Mm -hmm. she's looking at commas. She knows what they are. Yeah. You know, she knows where periods go. She knows where, you know, so the struggle she had was confidently knowing where paragraphing goes. So that's a fairly advanced skill when you think about it. You know, you start kids out with typically... In the traditional school, yeah. you know, you start kids out with like idea one, paragraph oh, yeah, one, yeah. idea two, but Supporting that's not really evidence. how we paragraph. And naturally. it's not, and it's not as fun to write that way. No, yeah, and so the whole five paragraph essay structure, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, beginning with that feels so limiting, and I didn't ever want that for her. And synthetic, and synthetic, yeah. right? And if she's going to go down a career path where she needs to write a five paragraph essay, you bet she'll learn how to do well, it. Well, and those are more informative, right? You know, and if you're doing creative writing, you don't need right. to do that. Yeah, if she goes the academia route, you know, then we'll yeah. get there. I mean, when we write our blogs for the right. we don't fall. I, I mean, I break so many rules. I have two word do sentences. You have a thesis statement. Yeah, and a exactly. Conclusion. I mean, you do. But sometimes, or right. I just take you on a journey and say, there you go. Right. You're welcome. <laughs> Those were my musings. Yeah. You know, that's the discussion. Exactly. Yeah. But I just think, I just want to point that out that, yeah, you know, you. I do a writing curriculum mm-hmm. that I just started on fables right. and they're learning words like amplification and summary. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not really necessary. It's just that it helps me teach them those things. But it just goes to show you don't need any of that. Right. You don't have to have any time in your day to do that kind of thing for them if if they are readers. Yeah. Now, if they're not into reading and they never listen to books, then you might have to do something like that to just give them some exposure to how to write a good sentence and things like that. And we actually talk about that. I mean, this conversation wasn't planned, but I happen to have my laptop right here. Yeah. Um, But we talk about that in our episode 17, Reading Challenges. Oh, yeah. Because it's called Literacy Immersion. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole group of people who truly believe that immersing children in every type of literature or Mm -hmm. literacy options, whether it's read-alouds or, you know, looking at books Mm -hmm. and all of that, it goes so far towards them developing their own skills. Yeah, you and, know? I, and I think that's what both of our families are about. Yeah. I mean, even like like your husband watches the literature-based movies yeah. with her, you mm-hmm. know? Like I, my husband reads the, the books with them. I'm doing the read aloud in the car right. or, you know, and so for us, that's, that's like the first thing I tell right. people. 
just do some read alouds, whether it's you or an audible, right? you know? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> Podcast well, uh, done. Yeah, we'll get on <laughs> that tangent. And now we've got the real work here. Yeah. If you've been listening to our Dumbing Us Down, they're usually about an hour. Yeah. But this one... It should be short and sweet. We'll yeah. see. We, we don't really pre-discuss it. No. So that's why sometimes we... Um, yeah. Go where we go. Yeah. So I thought I would start with just a little bit of a summary. Mm-hmm. So he entitled this chapter, The Green Monongahela. And that's the Good river. Job. Thank Good you. Job. I don't know if Did you look right. up how no. okay. <laughs> <laughs> But that's my, that's how I say it in my head. Yeah. Um, I was like the Monongahela. You, you know, you know that guy. Yeah. Um, so... That's the river that he actually grew up on, which is south of Pittsburgh. The so, author. Mm-hmm, the author, John Taylor Gatto. He grew up along that river. And um, chapter three is actually an essay that he wrote, which won first prize in the Geraldine Dodge Foundation Columbia University National Essay Contest. Wow. How many That's titles nice. do you need? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it was given first prize, and then he's also used this as different mm-hmm. speeches. So what I loved about this chapter was you actually got a glimpse of his childhood story, mm-hmm. but not so much that you get bored or distracted mm-hmm. by all of his anecdotes mm-hmm. or whatever. It was he just actually didn't nice, have any. Yeah, it was just yeah. a nice break in, yeah. in the, the critiquing, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have his background and... Right. I mean, his background kind of reminded me a little bit of the homegrown. Right. Homegrown? Is that the name of the book? The, the last one that yeah, we did? Yeah. yeah. It reminded me a little bit of that. You right. Know? Kind of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, John Taylor Gatto is describing his childhood, which was he was given free reign, you know, and he was free to run around. And he said he remembers spending a lot of time watching, observing, and learning from adults around mm-hmm. him for better or for worse there mm-hmm. was a few instances where i wouldn't want my kid catching no. that but at the same time this is how most children have learned mm-hmm. things you know you go back to cultures you know from a long time ago the kids were not hidden from adults yeah adult life wasn't secretive and we talk a lot about this in the previous dumbing us down um so i won't jump in too far into that but it was just a good reminder from his firsthand experience um you know he said when the the ships would come in along the river the the men would invite mm-hmm. the young boys aboard yeah. and they would get to watch and they would learn. But then the boys also knew when it was done, it was done. You don't sit there and beg for more yeah. or you're not going to be invited to do this again. Can I read that part? Yeah. It says, we didn't whine when our time was up. Men had work to do. We understood that and scampered our way. Grateful for the flash of our own futures. They, they had had time to reveal however small it was. I right. love how you wrote that. Right. And then he grew up in such a small town. He actually talks about how he got into some trouble and he got arrested, you know, but it was about a learning, you know, and so the um, the police officer would take him back, you yeah. know, and they talk about it. Well, he got arrested it. three times. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't once or, yeah. It was and he Charlie. Had different... Charlie the cop, yeah. you know, would take him back. And This sounds uh, like this was 100 years ago. Right, and it's not. I know. It was the... 50s, 60s. Yeah. Um, but this all really shaped him and it 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 really um sorry, my brain is slow, but it shaped him into the educator he wanted mm-hmm. to become. And then what he does is he takes that experience and then he 
he compares it with his first experiences in the classroom as yeah, a substitute, substitute teacher. Yeah. And it was stark. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, do you have anything that you wanted to share before we jump into the next part? Well, I, I just going back to, right. I just want to, I love quoting him because he yeah. writes so well. He says, I learned to teach. So this is about him mm-hmm. becoming a teacher. I learned to teach from being taught by everyone in town where I learned to teach the love of work from being asked to shoulder my share of the responsibility, even as a boy. And where I learned to find adventures I made myself from the everyday stuff around me, the river and the people who lived alongside of it. So yeah, it's, um, uh, that's saying exactly what, what your summary was saying, you know, and how cool. It makes me think of Little House on the Prairie a little bit. You know, right. they knew everybody in town. That's they could hang out. So true. He said that the, the real world of adults was his laboratory. Mm-hmm. He got to experiment. He got to see, you know, and it was very self-initiated. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to go do that, mm-hmm. you know, but he chose to because that's the world he knew he belonged to one day. And these adults were fine about mentoring mm-hmm. him in little ways or daily right. ways or big ways. You know, like the 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 cop actually he is mentoring him in Absolutely. a way you know and and giving him the punishment of studying animals when he speared the fish in the fountain you know <laughs> so funny it's yeah. true yeah yeah so then he talks about when he started teaching he talked about the way that he wanted to approach his children so he had a student who made a mistake And he decided to give that student the day off of work. He bought her a bus ticket along with her mother to go down to do some community service to make up for the mistake that she made, you know, as a punishment. But what it really did was it brought the mother and the daughter this opportunity Mm -hmm. to go and to experience something, you know, and learn in the real world. Well, that's what the cop taught him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I love that he even brought that into what he does. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the most striking moments in this chapter was him talking about being a substitute Mm -hmm. teacher. He was brought into this classroom and he was told to typing class. Yeah. He was the typing class instructor. For us as a substitute. As a substitute. And it was at the principal. Yeah. The principal or some director guy comes in and he says, under no circumstance are these children allowed to type. Yeah. They're all sitting in front of typewriters. And they're not allowed to type because he wasn't licensed right. to work with the typewriters. And this is probably, what, in the 80s? Right. So He yeah, wasn't given a memo ahead of time saying that this would be his job. something else. No, he was thrown in there and then told, oh, but you actually can't teach them to type. Yeah. So now you have a bunch of high schoolers, like 8th or ninth grade, a bunch of these teenagers sitting at desks with typewriters. With and, nothing to do. Right. That's yeah, that crazy. was fun. Like he would talk about hearing the click and the clack, and you know, right? Because the kids know this game, is what he said. This is not new to the kids. Yeah, this and, has been and going we on. know when we had substitutes. You know that we knew it was a free day, right? You knew when that one kid would say, "Oh, this is what we usually do." Yeah, you know, you knew not to say, "No, we don't." Yeah, mm-hmm. you didn't want to be the kid who busted yeah. the fun. Yeah, you know? so he ended up. I mean, it, it sounded like it went from almost, you know, like it, within minutes, oh, it yeah. went to chaos. Yeah. From the, the escalating, he started looking around to see who was typing. Then all of a sudden, they're all typing, and then all of a sudden, 
A he's, girl yells, look out, and there's a kid with a chair yeah. behind him. Well, because he's making a kid stop typewriting, and he right. and it's like the older brother oh, or yeah. somebody. <laughs> and he didn't like how he was disciplining his brother. And and Gatto is awesome. What does he do? He picks up a chair, too. Right. <laughs> so it's a standoff. Yeah, and then the principal comes in, and, right. and he's like, what do you want me to do? Right. What do you want me to do? And and the principal or the director or whatever says, use your resources. Because there was no answer. You're not allowed to right. type, and there's nothing else for them to do. So right. this inexperienced teacher who just gave up his copywriting job for his commercials. job. Yeah. yeah. To do this now has to come up with something. It's nuts. It's nuts mm-hmm. it's really crazy and then he he goes on to say most of the kids just laughed they'd seen this drama enacted before mm. they so really a lot of this um section is just talking about um that the sub assignments um were exploitations the substitutes were exploited and they were given no support for their survival yeah they were mm-hmm. just killing a day yeah that's crazy. I know. There's no support, you know, and yeah. so I do hope things well, are Well, I think of what a, I know, and I, but I remember the same thing in junior high and high school when we would have a sub, it'd be like, oh, and then if they actually gave us something to do, we'd be like, what? They We're not just watching a movie? Yeah. Like oh. normally it would just be a movie and think about it. Like there's all these requirements, all these restrictions, can't talk to your neighbor, but the second a sub comes in. Free for all. Free for all. And. That hour actually doesn't matter. Right. Because there's nothing for you that you're supposed to do except busy work. I can't help but go here because um, there's a lot of conversations right now about wasted days, right? Like kids missing school. So what happened in 2020? The schools got shut down. Yeah. You know, and then at first it was, it's no big deal. We'll get them caught up. And then all of a sudden when parents want to keep their kids home for political, personal reasons. Yeah. Well, that's a waste to their education, you know, and it's just so interesting that the argument, anyway. Yeah. And then you you get substitutes, you you don't prepare your substitutes. Yeah. Who's doing the wasting here? Yeah. So I, when I was a traditional school teacher, I had to have like three or four days of sub plans ready to go. Right. But you know what those sub plans were? Busy work, stuff they already knew how to do because you right. couldn't ask a sub who doesn't know the eight parts of speech right. to, to come teach. in and teach right. that or doesn't know sentence diagramming to come in and teach that. Now, what's really cool is some schools have um, subs that know the curriculum sure, and they they call them regularly and so they already know and they could pick up right where someone left mm-hmm. off. And and uh, where I've heard of that are private schools. Uh yeah. They have like a, a family of substitutes that right. they're usually like retired teachers or teachers who became moms and just right. want to work part time. Yeah. And so they, they'll come in and work a couple hours right? and then they can go back home. And, um, but they already know all this stuff right? and they know that the faculty, the other faculty and the administrators. So that's like best case scenario. Totally. But, um, that's not the usual. but in a, in a, in an urban school, I doubt I doubt much has changed. From I that. went to a really decent suburban public school, and it was third or fourth grade. And um, I this sub this woman came in, and she was so rude. Mm. She okay, it was definitely third grade. Here's why: 
She called a boy wearing a baseball cap in, in the classroom. She called him hat. Excuse me, hat. Oh, you need word. to take off your cap. Well, because you know what? She probably has to build up a wall to like right. to be able to handle. We were nice kids at a but nice you, school. But you don't that know was, that, though. No, well, That's, I feel like you should. We were yeah, okay. in La Costa, if you know the San Diego area. I don't even know that. Well, that's where our, our um, water park place is. Oh, okay. That's yeah. an affluent yeah, area. Yeah. We were not... I was on a district transfer, the school that I should have gone to. Yes, you might want to come in being a little tough. Yeah. A little yeah, hard. Yeah. But no, not this school. This was Aww. a bunch of pretty nice kids. Yeah. Like, we didn't torture our subs. But the, some of these boys stuck up for Hat because Aww. he was going through cancer treatment for <gasps> leukemia. Oh, my word. He had <laughs> special permission from our teacher to wear his hat in class because Aww. he felt more comfortable. Yeah. And so... I think she also allowed the other boys in class to also wear their hats, kind of in a solidarity. Yeah. And so the other boys, they spoke up for him. And I don't remember that sub saying anything else the rest of the day. Yeah. I don't, I think we watched movies the rest of the day because yeah. she'd met her match. Yeah. And she realized she was wrong. Totally. That's my third grade yeah. memory. But, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. know what the reality yeah. of that situation yeah. was. But I remember that moment stuck with me. These boys stood up for that boy who was getting picked on by yeah. an adult. And these poor subs, though, like, they, they don't know the classroom they they're walking into. No. One of my friends, she's a, a traditional school teacher in a high school. And during her prep periods, she actually subs on purpose so she can oh. get to know the other facets of the school. Right. And she gets to see, and, but she already knows the students. She already right. knows the faculty. And so she, that's how she uses her prep period is to sub. Like, well, so she's in gym. Right. I'm watching yeah. her on Instagram right now. Oh, and yeah. she's on, she um, is subbing for like a week at, at gym class. So she's in the weight room showing the all the weights and the kids doing their weights and she's the sub. Right. But they all Good already her. know her. She's a right. photography teacher. Right. You know? They're comfortable so, with her. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think some people have figured it out, but you know, I'm sure there's still these same kind of stories with with uh, uh, fighting chairs between teacher and student, yeah. you know. So then the last part of this chapter really, I mean, I think I cried the first time I read it because it was really touching and I don't know, sometimes it just gets me. But he had, he was at the school and he was um, talking about how nearly 100% um, Hispanic student body. Oh yeah. Yeah. And no, no Latina, Latino teachers. Teachers. Right. And so it's just. A really strange dynamic and these educators at least on the administration level really don't care to get to know their students mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. becomes apparent in this story and so he meets this little girl as a sub or maybe yeah as a sub mm-hmm. he meets his teacher mm-hmm. or a little girl and her name is Milagros and he was asking why she was in this class because other kids couldn't read, and she mm-hmm. could read beautifully. Right. And so at first, he couldn't tell if she was just memorizing things, and so he wanted to actually figure it out. And so the answer that sh- this little girl gave to him when he asked her why she was in this class was that they, the administration, he puts in parentheses, wouldn't let her out because as they explained to her mother, she was really a bad reader who had fantasies of being a better reader than she mm-hmm. was. Can you imagine telling a parent that? No. Oh, she just thinks she's really good. Yeah. But she's not. And then didn't they tell him when he said, no, she is a good reader? They're like, no, she probably memorized the story. Right. And I, right below that, he said, surely the authorities knew what they were doing. 
But and that's what we all think. I had special needs kids, and right. there was a girl in my class who I was like, "Oh, she's really picking up this stuff really quickly. Oh, her printing is really nice. Like, what is her special need? You right. know?" And why there was there was no. Yeah. She didn't have any kind of like IEP or I, I don't know why she was there. But I never thought to question it. Right. She's here. Somebody determined that she belonged here. Right. And if you don't question it as the teacher who's seeing her and checking in with her, then who's advocating for that kid? Right. No one. Because the mom is trusting the school who tested her. It could have just been she wasn't good at test taking or something. Sure. Totally. And then she got put in that class. And then I assume, well, they all know. I was a first-year teacher. Right. You're not questioning things. Yeah. And he's a first-year substitute. Right. They know what they're doing. Right. Who am I to say, I don't think she really belongs here. So he decided to test her because she claimed that she could read from her older brother's... um, Sixth grade book. Sixth grade English book. And so she did. And he decided that he should take her case. So um, he goes to the principal and she's completely dismissive. Yeah. Completely dismissive. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, don't tell me how to run my school. Don't tell me how to run my school. And then... He says, but the kid can read. You, do, you Like, seriously, she can read. Yeah. And so she goes, well, what do you suggest? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Who? This is at a different school yeah. than the first scenario. I, I wonder if the, a bunch of these people, though, enter into education with all the hopes and dreams, just like Gatto did. Right. And over time, they get berated. They get tainted. Right. And at the end of it, then they're like, they're, they're, no, they're yeah. her, you right. know? You know, educators go into education because they, they're passionate about it and they're excited about it. And whatever happens, right. A lot of them can end up this way. Yeah. So he, she asks him, what do you suggest? So he says, I suggest you test her. And if she isn't a dummy, get her out of the class that she's in. Mm -hmm. And then the administrator's offended. I don't like your tone. Mm -hmm. None of our students are dummies, Mr. Gatto. And then you will find that girls like Milagros have many ways to fool amateurs like yourself. So again, making excuses for their incompetency. Yeah. And maybe they have seen that though. Of course, maybe that happens. Yeah, but it's so so it's so hard when to uh, to to customize. Right. But you're talking about eight-year-olds. I know. What does an eight-year-old girl have to gain? I think it's just the our human depravity. You cannot. Oops. Uh, you cannot meet each person in a vacuum. Right. You have all the past experiences of all the other eight-year-olds right. in your brain that you're evaluating this person with. Yeah. And it's too bad. It's really Absolutely. too bad. Yeah. So this administrator says, I don't have time to argue with you and everybody like you. Because if I did, then I'd have no time left to run a school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of school are we running? Yeah. So... He insisted, and finally the principal agreed to test Milagros herself the following week. Yeah. So he made a point to tell the little girl so that she could be prepared and, you know, make sure. Um, And then he even second-guessed himself. Yeah, well, that's what he said. I I mean... He went to bat for this little girl, and then he worried that she was just going to memorize it. Maybe she did memorize it. Right, because that's what... He was left to believe mm-hmm. based on these. Well, he was trusting, yeah. trust, trusting the the wiser, right? 
So, and then the principal the next morning says, it seems we've made a mistake with Milagros. She will be moved, Mr. Gatto. Her mother has been informed. None like, oh my goodness, thank you, you right. for <laughs> pointing that out. What a mistake we made. Yeah. It, it was, was just factual. Yeah, we moved her. Yeah. Inflection my own, but that's <gasps> yeah. how I feel. That's how you wrote it. Yeah. So then... Um, Several weeks later, he got to go back to that school as a sub, and Milagros dropped by and telling told him that she was in the fast reading class and was doing so well. And then um, he left her a birthday card, and he opened the card, and it said, a teacher like you cannot be found. Signed, mm-hmm. your student, Milagros. Mm-hmm. So he obviously remembered that card and kept it for who knows how long. Well, he said it really impacted him. It really impacted him. That simple sentence made me a teacher for life. It was the first praise I'd ever heard in my working existence that had any meaning. Yeah, because he was talking about his previous job literally meant nothing. Right. That's why he got out. Yeah. He could keep making a ton of money Mm -hmm. and make a name for himself. Mm -hmm. But what did it mean? Which is a reminder to the teachers who go into education, most of them, they're going into it. Because they want to make a difference in kids' lives. And so it's just sad, though, how constrained they are in their ability to do that because there's so much more they could do. Right. And so if they had the autonomy to do it. Right. It's it's so hard when well-meaning people are stuck in a system. Are stuck in a system and then become the system inadvertently because they feel like they don't have any choices, but they think that they can still make a little difference with just... And they can. You know, Gatto couldn't really do much to upturn the system, but he could make a difference to his students in those little small ways. And so I do believe that they're are good teachers out there oh, who totally. are capable of doing it, but, this, but you're still it's the stuck. system. He's he's what he's commenting on is not the teachers themselves. No. He's talking about the system, and he's challenging yeah. those teachers yeah. to say, "Fight back against the system. Yeah, do more than uh, you know the hidden curriculum." Right. So then, um, let's see. Twenty four years later, he picked up a newspaper and read the Occupational Teacher Award, Milagros. M, which was this little girl um, from the United Federation of Teachers, has won the Distinguished Occupational Teacher Award of the State Education Department for demonstrated achievement and exemplary professionalism. And it, like, was so touching to him. Yeah. It had come full circle. Yeah. That one little thing that he went to go do changed that little girl's life. Yeah. it stuck with her. Yeah. She stuck with him. And now she and she wants to do the same for people. Yeah. Yeah. And so it made me cry the last line. Oh, Milagros. Is it just possible that I was your Monongahela River? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter. A teacher like you cannot be found. Yeah. It's just so sweet and so touching. And you can see why people are dedicated to mm-hmm. education and dedicated to improving the lives of children who just need that one moment, yeah. that one interaction with an adult or an experience of mm-hmm. adults that can change your whole trajectory. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the system. If he hadn't pressed as hard as he did, she may have not gotten that chance in that moment, which could be a turning point or a tipping point. Right. Actually, it was right. a tipping point in her life. If nobody took her seriously until she was much older, she may have already had so much negative yeah, well, like, stuff to take with her. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned this like probably 20 podcasts ago, but there was a, 
uh, mom on in, on Facebook in one of our homeschool groups that was saying her daughter never liked reading, and then she brought her uh, COVID brought her home. Right, and then when she's when she figured out what happened, she she figured out what happened because she asked her daughter, "What's wrong with reading? What's your problem?" And she said, "Well, I was always put in the low reading group." And it made her feel like ashamed and bad about reading and not like reading when really like all she needed was to not be segregated. Yeah. Yeah. For a certain ability. Right. Because how do they assess your reading? By tests? By Mm -hmm. reading aloud? Do you know how many kids would rather die than have Mm -hmm. to read out loud Mm -hmm. in front of the whole class? Mm Mm-hmm. Most kids don't look forward to that, and you're, it's forced on all of them. Yeah, and people have different skill sets of how they can communicate their comprehension. Absolutely. You know, so, so I don't think they were identifying it very well, and it's you're putting them in groups because mm-hmm. you got to start somewhere. And they're putting them in groups because they're trying to customize the education. They're trying right. to do what we promote in homeschooling. Right. But you can't customize an education in a Darwinian survival of the fittest assembly line institution it falls short every yeah. time yeah yeah um anything else that you want to say about so there's three? just one thing that yes. that that totally stood out to me he was saying how um he was working for three months in dismal working conditions and uh he was at lunch he are oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was with teachers in the cafeteria and um and to this day, after 30 years in the business, I can honestly say I have never once heard an extended conversation about children or about teaching theory in any teacher's room I've been in. And I was like, same. Like, I was only a traditional school teacher for two years. And I stopped going to lunch, actually, because it was very negative. And I was like, I'm not bonding with the teachers. It's just like complaining. Right. So I'm now going to use this as my prep time, right? Eat my food real quick and use it as my prep time. And um, they were usually just having a hard time with like disciplining hard kids. You know, it was about controlling the classroom. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know how long I sat in on those lunches, but that's why it was just so funny. I've already getting a master's of education at that point, and I've never heard about any kind of teaching philosophy other than like the traditional model. Right. But then also, since I was at a Christian uh, APU, Azusa Pacific University, they were saying, you know, the number one things kids need is God, is to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And whether you're in a public school or not, it doesn't matter. You teach them uh, about life and love, and that will bring them to a knowing, you know. Right. But that was most impactful. But I never heard about other philosophies. Right. I never heard about, like, nature-based. Right. You know, or a, a classical model. Child-led. Child-led, right. yeah. I mean, I think Montessori was kind of coming about in a in a bigger way at that point. Right, up to the level of but that was seen, you learn about. Yeah, yeah, but that was, we literally saw that as kids just getting to play on the playground all day mm-hmm. and not doing anything. Right. So we're like, Montessori kids. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually Montessori. It's not all Montessori's who say they're Montessori are actually no. Montessori. Right. So you have to be careful with that too, because Montessori seems like a really great model to me, you know, but you have to check to see how it plays right. out. Right. If you're still incorporating traditional curriculum into a Montessori, it's no longer a Montessori. Yeah. And the, and the older kids can't really teach the younger kids because they've got their own stuff they've got to learn. You right. know, they're. Right. If you're segregated by grades, yeah. it's not Montessori. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
but yeah, I just, I was just like, oh yeah, I wonder how many other teachers sit and talk about approaches and philosophies. Cause that wasn't my experience. Right. And even when they were talking about the discipline issues, was anyone offering advice or were they? Yeah, they, well, and it was funny cause one of the mom, one of the teachers, she was brand new too, like I was. And she had been a homeschool mom for 20 years. And oh, her man. kids were now in college. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So she was getting more, and she she was asking for more advice about con- how to control a classroom. Okay. And, but then she was offering advice. And, um, you know, if I had clued in, I probably would have clued in better to right. what she was saying. Right. But I remember her sitting there offering advice to something, but um, but it was rare because she right. was a rookie. Right, and nobody really wanted advice. Oh yeah, <laughs> they no, just it wanted was a, to keep complaining. Yeah, and and the thing is, because it's hard. Right, it it's is hard. hard to teach a classroom of third. Well, and in this case, probably like a private school, it's probably like twenty two kids, you know, yeah. per class. Um, it's hard, and 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 even though it was a private school, they all came still from different backgrounds. Right, some of them were there because they weren't allowed to be at a public traditional school anymore. <laughs> you know, so, you know, yeah. you had that mixture too. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is, um, it was just making me think of the last teacher's meeting I had for my dance studio and we meet only once a year. So we don't get that everyday conversation in a break room, but we had some very constructive conversations on some of the discipline issues because some of the, the teachers who needed some guidance had a whole group of other teachers with different experiences and different backgrounds to mm-hmm. ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, we hadn't all gone through the same training program, the yeah. same credential program. You know, some dance educators only have their dance training mm-hmm. that they bring forth yeah, to become right. educators. Yeah. You know, there's the no experience, certification yeah. process or licensing to become a dance educator. Yeah, that's weird. So there's some, a shark tank idea. Well, there is, but it's not a requirement. Yeah, but know? yeah. So, I mean, but I actually am pursuing that. I'm working on my certificate and then I'm working on you. I don't want the entry level. I want the master right, educator, course, yeah. you know? And so anyway, there are um, certificates and license, not licensing, but you can show that you have these credentials essentially mm-hmm. for teaching at a beginner level or a master level. And, um, but at this point, the industry doesn't recognize that. No one's requiring that that I know of, except for universities, of course. But but it's more not people have to have it for them to because it would be a exactly. diamond in the rough right. to find. So it's one thing, it. yeah. So that's not really. So once studios start offering incentive to do it, mm-hmm. then there might be a standard pedagogy. But right yeah. now, there's not. Yeah, there isn't. And yeah, so, weird. but it was nice because I think that allowed for us to have a constructive conversation. Because we didn't all have only one way we were thinking about it. Mm-hmm. We all had our unique experiences, yeah. beliefs, and philosophies that we could bring to the table. Well, I remember at APU, um, the WASC um, Western Association of School or something. Mm-hmm. It's the creditors. Right. I think we got our school got dinged on our Masters of Ed program because it was too uh, concentrated on, um, spe- on special ed oh. and special needs. Whereas at the time, the trend was um, uh, diversity. Mm. So because the focus was not on diversity, but on uh, inclusion in the classroom and mainstreaming special needs kids and how to do that, um, they got dinged. They got dinged. And it's like, 
how about we just have every program have their different specialties and you get to pick what your specialty is. Right. Now you're a teacher who has this speciality yeah. and wouldn't that be a great asset to a school who has who has teachers with different yeah exactly specialities yeah i mean same with the approaches like how great to put a charlotte mason person in the room with an unschooler with an eclectic with a classical right and 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 hear the different ideas and and kind of pull what's best and of right. course then that would be an eclectic model right but, but it's situational too because yeah. one situation is not the best fit for every scenario mm-hmm. and the problem with the traditional school the institutionalized school is there's no autonomy. Right. They have to stay together. And the teachers can't say like, oh, actually, I'm so in the nature and I'm really equipped with that. And right. I can literally like take them for walks around campus and teach them science. No, can't. And no, yeah. they can't. You have to sit in your seat. Yeah, you have to sit in your seat and you have to teach the curriculum that the government told you to teach. Not giving of yourself of, of this wonderful wealth of knowledge that you have yep. and experience. Yeah, right. You can only give little pieces of yourself as you can yeah, sneak yeah. it in there. Yeah. Of course, I don't always, if I if my kid was in a traditional school, I wouldn't want the teacher giving too much of herself either. Right. But her expertise, you right. know, I'd want her expertise. Like if she's really good at gardening, then please teach my kid gardening. Yeah. You know, and if someone else is really good at engineering, please offer engineering. Totally. And the elementary level. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, electives should not have to wait until they're in fifth or sixth grade. Electives should be happening. Do they even start then? In junior high, they do. Yeah, you get electives. I don't remember. So I took Spanish. Oh, maybe. I I did band. And I did cooking or home ec. It was called home ec. I'm sure that's not PC now, but I took home ec and it was like sewing. Right. Oh, and cooking was its own class, actually. So cooking, that's where I got in trouble for cheating. Cooking. <laughs> oh my gosh. Of course you did. It's so funny. I'm sorry I didn't make my caramelized carrots. I had swim practice, you know? It's so funny. So how did I you did, cheat? I, I said I did. I filled it out. Oh. But I wouldn't sign the parent's signature because I wasn't gonna I wasn't that dishonest. And then she said you didn't have it signed. I was like, oh, I, I didn't I did do it. it. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't notice. So I didn't make caramelized carrots. I don't get home till 7.30 every night, you know? Oh, my gosh. Can you make caramelized carrots today? I'm, I'm sure I could follow instructions. Exactly. <laughs> Done. Whenever whenever I cook for people and they're like, that's really good, I'm like, isn't it? I'm just so impressed with myself. No, but it's like I'm just following instructions. Right. And when my kid writes their name at the top of the page because I told them to, I'm not like, isn't that amazing? Right. I'm like, no, you followed instructions. Big whoop to do, you yeah, know. I know. But but if you come up with your own recipe, that or you made a little tweak right. on it, or you figured out a faster way to do it, then that's something to be complimented. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on. The, yep. Enough with our book. Tune in next time for chapter four. Yeah. Looks like a doozy. We need less school, not right. more. We may or may not even break that up into multiple episodes. We'll yeah. See how it goes. Well, and I think what we need to do is um, that it's longer. It's long and it's several sections. And I imagine each section will have its talking point. Yeah. And I think what we need to do too is though, is think of how it applies to yourself. Absolutely. So like for this chapter, like are you stuck in 
um, what your, your lens of your child is. Oh, they're not good at math. So we're going to move slower. But then when they're doing better, are you moving faster? You know, like how, like what helps is even though this is critiquing the traditional school, most of us who have been raised in the traditional school are carrying that on in us. Right. And aren't thinking outside the box and wanting our kids to conform. And, you know, right. like how, how can you use this information to inspire you to, to be different in your homeschooling? Right. So, um, yeah. Like it. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. What's it's the question? time for the, the Coop Q&A, Q&A. <laughs> where we answer your questions. questions. If you have a question you want us to answer, head over to the podcast page on our website, thecoophomeschool.com, or email us, mamahens at thecoophomeschool.com. Today's question is... The question is... Oh, what are your favorite charities? So mom asked this because she was looking um, at places to encourage her kids to raise money for and mm-hmm. to learn about organizations. Um. Well, my newest one is the Heifer International. Yeah. Because we just did that with our co-op and we raised the money. And But what I love about it is they have a whole link that has the kids um, for kids that right. they can learn. They can see videos of the villages that mm-hmm. are gifted animals from people's money. Um, what, what a flock of chicks does, what uh, a goat does, what a water right. buffalo does. And there's like little activity books you can print out. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I feel like we spent like two hours on it when yeah. we did it for the co-op and it was really a neat way for them to see, like, not just learn how to help people, right? but also learn how an animal help, just a right. single animal can enhance a whole community absolutely and and make that person help that person make money so heifer international would be one of them and then i'm just going to say the other one that we've been involved in is the operation christmas child it's a shoebox you fill up with a bunch of toys if you go to samaritan's purse um you can see what um, the list they have for different ages of either a female or a male uh child and um and what they're looking for, like toothbrushes and socks, but then also like one big fun gift. And right. but my kids really love doing that because they pick a person their gender and their age, right. and they look for things to fill a shoebox with that they would need and want. Right. And that last year or two years ago, we ended up spending fifty dollars a box. Right. So pay attention to how big your box is, and if you do the you do the plastic container, we do so the literal shoebox. Yeah. Yeah. So that way they can use the container for carrying water or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, But I just think it's a really neat way to get the kids involved in giving. And if they can give of their own money, like my kids, I didn't give any money except for like the processing fee sure. to Heifer International this year. They gave all their own, like one, one of my kids gave 20 bucks. Nice. That's I know. Sweet. Like yeah. they gave their own money in proportion to what they felt comfortable with what they already had. And I didn't give them any percentage or whatever. And it was really neat for them. And then they were really more invested in, yeah. in and it was neat to do it as a group because we raised over $300 plus a $500 corporate sponsor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really fun. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. Um, and I think both of those are really excellent choices for homeschoolers because there are learning opportunities involved. Mm-hmm. And there are in other ways as well. But if you're looking for easy at home, you know, 
minimal being out in the community, those are great charities that Mm -hmm. really help you do something besides just throw money somewhere. Yeah. Well, and I know one of the families in our co-op, when I mentioned it, she's like, oh yeah, we we give to them every year. That's like our Christmas gift as a family. And But that was a really neat idea, too, Mm -hmm. to incorporate as like an annual tradition in Christmas time. Yeah, that's super cool. And then um, we do talk about Operation Christmas Child and a few others in our giving episode, which is episode 23. So Mm -hmm. if you want some Mm -hmm. ideas, it's the perfect season to start really thinking about that and get Mm -hmm. that out there. Um, I think I even have a link to my kids putting theirs right, together, exactly. and then you can watch that and see what goes into it. And you're, right. you can have your kids watch it and, and see kids putting it together themselves. Right. And then um, I actually was introduced to Operation Christmas Child through my MOPS group. Yeah. And so as a table of 10 women, we would choose how many boxes we were going to put together, and then we would divvy up the tasks. That's and cool. so I know one of the moms who wanted to take on the fun items, you know, she got the deflated soccer ball and a pump, yeah, you know, yeah. so that that's what we could put in the box. Well, and, and what's nice about that then, too, you can be like, okay, I'll be in charge of the girl socks. And right. you can get one set of like a dozen, and then yep. every girl can get like two or three pairs of socks in theirs. Exactly. Without having to buy like a whole bunch of single socks. Which are more expensive. Oh, way. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So it's a great opportunity even for a group of mm-hmm. people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We were talking about other things. Um, you know, check the organization's credibility. There's yeah. websites that will help you do that. And check their messaging. Is mm-hmm. that something that you agree with? If you're trying to do this charity as a family, look at their messaging. Is that something that you believe in? Um, if you're doing it as a group, make sure that the whole group feels comfortable with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then check with your local churches. Um, you know, maybe you have a church or you know of a church in your area that supports an organization that you really feel connected to. Um, there's the compassion experience that mm-hmm. kind of travels around. Um, in our area, if you're in the San Diego County area, we have the Seeds of Hope mm-hmm. that helps with child trafficking. Mm-hmm. And then we have Solutions for Change, which helps with family homelessness. Mm-hmm. And then we have Young Life and Young Lives. And um, Young Life is for teenagers, so it's kind of an outreach program. Um, It's kind of like taking the um, youth group idea Mm -hmm. and expanding that to be inviting other people in. And then there's Young Lives, which is actually for teen moms. And so it Mm -hmm. pairs other moms with these teen moms to be mentors and, you know, give their kids play dates. And then to help the moms be able to either continue school or work or, you know, have the resources and friendships that you kind of need as a new mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So there's always a ton and you just have to find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And how fun to research it. You could even, if your kids are old enough to research on the internet, you could even have them research it as long as like they're old enough to be able to handle like child trafficking. But even when we donated to someone who was helping with Seeds of Hope and she's going over to Nicaragua and she said, and and she said, I'm accepting these school supplies. Right. So um, we, wa- I think, watched a YouTube on life in Nicaragua just to mm-hmm. give them an idea. And then I talked about how kids have to work during the day instead of going to school. So I didn't say what kind of work, right. but how nice if they could get an education right. and not have to work during the day. And, um, and, and my kids really connected to that. They don't yeah. have to know what their work is. You know, and so, um, and a number of moms from our co-op gave to that. And so my friend who was going over to Nicaragua, she brought two huge suitcases of like school supplies and prizes 
for uh, the kids to earn. So cool. By showing up. Just right. by showing up. Just come. Yeah, you get a meal, and then if you earn a certain number of points by being there mm-hmm. and, and an active member or whatever, then right. you could go to the table, and they would have, like, the scrunchies and the, the socks. So the stuff that you would see in an Operation Christmas Child right. were laid out. I saw pictures, like, they're laid out on the table, and they got to pick. And yeah. Yeah, it was really sweet. Super awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I have a friend that was going to Nicaragua, and I don't know if she followed up on it, but I was like, oh, well, if you're interested in a family project while you're there, even though it was total recreational, I said, uh, you should think about bringing a suit, gathering up supplies from your church or your friends or people. She's a school teacher, so have your high school students donate and um, bring a whole suitcase of stuff for Seeds of Hope. So she was like, well, give me the info. I don't know if she right. ended up doing it. But I don't feel bad asking people to to help out other people. Right. Like, I'm not asking you to help out me. Right. I'm asking you to help other people because you're going to be in a unique situation. Totally. You know? Yeah. Thanks for listening. We love your support. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave a rating and review to let us know how we're doing, and share our podcast with your friends who need a little community, humility, and joyful fun in homeschooling.